Welcome to Dancing with the Bards, a podcast where we review tabletop games. My name is Ian, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Will. Hello. Brooke. Hey. And returning to the podcast is Chris. It is I. Our game this week is the role-playing game Elfin Folk by Adam Buffoni. In this 40-page game, you play as an Elfin Folk, tiny people who live secretly among humans. The game is relatively easy to learn and uses a D10 system to make checks to determine successes. Normally, this is where we would jump into our review, but we've prepared something special for this episode. I had the chance to interview Adam Buffoni as I was doing research for the podcast and got his permission to include the interview on the podcast. I hope you enjoy. This is Ian with Dancing with the Bards, and I'm joined by Adam Buffoni, the developer of Elfin Folk and Tether. Am I missing any, any games? Um... See, pro- probably I don't remember. Uh, oh yes, I have a neat little Lumen game about sky pirates called Tempest, um, and I've done a lot of writing for for other publishers and other people's games. But yeah, I think Elfin Folk and, and Tether are the big ones. Okay, yeah, excellent. I, I knew of those two. <laughs> I didn't know of uh, Tempest. So uh, I brought you on so that we can discuss some of the aspects of Elfin Folk. Uh, to cover over the the period of a podcast this will be played back for all my bars later on so they can all listen in uh we'll move right into the first question uh, what is your inspiration to to write album folk um well this is actually a, a very easy and straightforward question so um it was not too long after i started getting into creating ttrpg content um like i was just getting into like writing sort of 5e homebrew stuff and writing homebrew stuff for my various campaigns. And I knew that I wanted to make a game and I wanted to make a sort of smaller game that was very easy to digest and play. And it was actually while I was kind of in the midst of trying to decide what I wanted to do that I happened to watch the lovely Studio Ghibli film, uh, The Secret World of Arietti, which of course is based on the novels, The Borrowers. And I don't think that it's a big surprise uh, to anyone to say that Elfin Folk is very heavily influenced by The Borrowers and The Secret World of Arietti. I mean, it basically is um, The Borrowers, the role-playing game in a sense. There are some unique aspects to the Elfin Folk communities and things that we've laid out. But, uh, you know, the the whole idea of little tiny people living in the walls, I think, in modern media kind of stems from from those two pieces. That's actually really interesting. I didn't um, I actually haven't seen that Studio Ghibli film. So my basis on this was that it was based off of um, like a European lore for mm-hmm. uh, elves and stuff. Mm-hmm. Where they have the, the tiny people who live in the rocks and the, and the, and the shrubs and everything that. Yeah, and that is where kind of the name came from um, as I like started looking more into the origins of this sort of stuff. But the the, the very first kind of kickoff inspiration uh, was that Studio Ghibli film, which I would definitely recommend to anyone who hasn't seen that. It's it's real beautiful, worth, worth a watch. And any Studio Ghibli film is worth watching at least once. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, are there any uh, unique aspects to Elfin Folk that you feel deserve to be highlighted? Mm-hmm. I, I, I will say, um, having read through it, I noticed that it's uh, very easy to get. And a lot of the writing in it uh, seems to be very uh, directed towards beginners for mm-hmm. uh, tabletop games. Definitely. And uh, it was certainly intended that way. I mean, 
Elfin Folk is kind of unique for me in that it was the first tabletop role-playing game I had ever written. Um, I had done a little bit of like board game design stuff previously. Nothing that was published, but just kind of independently. Um, and since this was the first tabletop game I had made, I think there is a lot of things that I look back on and would like to, you know, update or think that I would do differently now. But there are also some things that every time I look back and read this book, I remember like, oh, yeah, that was a that was a neat little idea. Um, and one thing that always comes to mind that I really enjoyed about it was the a system of overcoming obstacles requiring a set amount of successes on dice rolls. Um, I found that when I played, it really does contribute to a very sort of narrative play. So for anyone who doesn't know or hasn't read the game, essentially the way that overcoming obstacles works is, you know, your GM might say there is this certain thing that you have to overcome. Maybe you're, you know, going to, you have to get through a room from one side to the other and there's, a cat or a dog in the room and we'll say that's the obstacle and it requires four successes to overcome the players can then each decide in any turn order they want oh i want to take x action and i'm going to use this one of my stats and they will make a roll and if they succeed on it then it goes towards the number of successes um and because we handle everything that way it allows for players to really contribute to the narration, um, especially when you look at something like combat. Um, there really are no mandatory combat encounters in Elfin Folk, um, because even if something is presented like a combat encounter, it will be given a number of successes to overcome. It will be treated as an obstacle. And as the players, you could say, yeah, I'm going to, you know, swing my sword and use my strength or use my uh, agility or, or whatever stat you want and, and treat it like a combat role. But you also could, you know, try to, you know, persuade or try to um, use any of your any of your other stats in any other interesting way that you can possibly think of to overcome that obstacle. And all it requires is, you know, you doing something that could reasonably overcome that obstacle and uh, succeeding on on your role to do so so i think that that's made like some really fun situations for me when i've ran games of elfin folk there have been times that i've presented situations that i thought was going to be a combat encounter that ended up being a social encounter or more of a puzzle in a ways with uh, players using like vigilance and other sorts of uh stats to overcome these obstacles which is uh i i personally noticed that when I was uh, reading through the book and I, I've been slowly uh, building an adventure for my, uh, my bards for next mm -hmm. Sunday. And uh, the combat system, I, or the, the, I should say really the lack thereof because it's very <laughs> flexible right. uh, as to how it works. Uh, it allows for a, a lot more creative solutions and there's no initiative in, in this mm -hmm. combat, which is something that a lot of other TTRPGs have that once that, once the, the 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 game master says start initiative, you no longer have the choice usually to back down from that. Right, but that's absolutely always on the table here. Right, yeah, absolutely. And there's no like specific point of failure for for overcoming an obstacle either. Um, you know, it's not like you have to get X number of successes before you get three failures or anything like that. It it really is. It, it goes until um, either the obstacle is overcome or the group decides to 
try to get away, you know, abandon this thing and 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 go do something else. Which, considering that their size, is probably usually a safe option. <laughs> yeah, most certainly. All right. So, um, one of the things we look for on the the podcast is um, any any kind of of footprint where people can either find ideas for the game or listen to, to, to channels that might have gone over uh, gameplay. Do you know of any uh, like communities, either Reddit or Discord, that might have uh, covered Elf and Folk or, or talked about it all or maybe even set up games or uh, any kind of podcasts that might have uh, examples that you uh, particularly enjoyed of gameplay? Um, so as far as communities that have played, I I believe there have been a couple of games over in the action fiction discord server, but that, uh, you know, I don't think is a thing that happens regularly. I know that a lot of those guys, uh, do enjoy the game. Um, I also know of a few podcasts that have played. Um, one that I found was really fun was called dice fiends. Um, that is a, a smaller TTRPG podcast that, uh, played a one shot of Elfin Folk, and uh, it was it was just fantastic all the way through, start to finish. Uh, the other that comes to mind is Role Playing Guys. Uh, they did both a review of the game when it had first first come out, as well as a I think it was a two or three part uh, like one shot of the game, and that was also a really fun one. I actually really appreciated their review as well because as I go back and look at the game with um you know, now being a more experienced designer, I find that uh, any of their criticisms are things that I also think uh, very much now when uh, when I look at it. So I thought that was quite insightful for me. And the third one, of course, is uh, the One Shot Podcast. Um, I was very lucky to have Elfin Folk played on the One Shot Podcast, which is one of the bigger, if not the biggest indie TTRPG actual play podcasts out there. there's actually kind of an interesting story behind Elfin Folk being played on the One Shot podcast, and that was that I I didn't know it was going to be played on the show. Um, that is to say, I had reached out to them. I sent them an email with an early PDF of the game before it was quite finished. Um, the text was finished, but we were still working on layout and, and art. And, you know, I pitched the game to them and said, I-, I would love it if you would play this. It would be so awesome, you know, because I enjoy the podcast. And then <laughs> I didn't, they never actually wrote back to me and told me that they were going to play it. And I didn't know that they were going to. Um, and they ended up playing it and releasing the episodes before I had finished and released the game. Uh, and so when I was still like in the process of working on the game, I started getting emails from people, you know, uh, through my website and messages on Twitter saying like, oh, hey, I heard this game on one shot. Like, I can't find it. I'm wondering where I can get it. And that kind of put a bit of a fire under me that I was like, oh, well, I got to, you know, finish the game and get it out now to take advantage of the fact that people are listening to it and interested in it. And it was, um, I, I believe it was in the, uh, one of the, the more recent bundles for the, um, the, the trans rights for, for Florida bundles too, wasn't it? I believe you're correct. It has been in uh, a number of bundles. I honestly don't, can't even remember which, whenever oh, yeah. I see a bundle out there, I try to, I try to, submit it um especially you know something that is for a cause that i believe in like that oh yeah absolutely i i only know that because i had gotten uh i gotten that for brooke uh for her her birthday one of our other hosts and uh as i was mentioning covering this game she's like oh yeah i have a copy of that you got it for me and i'm like oh (laughs) (laughs) 
I yeah. So I, I figured that's worth bringing up that it's uh, it's something you can <laughs> usually find pretty easy accessibility wise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I try, I try to try to throw it out there in in bundles when I see them around. All right. So uh, moving then into uh, my fourth question for you: uh, Do you have any plans to add any more to the game in the future? Um, in that regard, I'm also talking about things like um, uh, revisions or maybe small story modules, things like that. I realize yeah. that with some of these these smaller indie games, that's not always an option you have. So it's not right. something we, we really grade harsh. We, it depends on the, the project. If right. I were to go for something like Dungeons and Dragons, for example, I might even <laughs> give them a lower score with how much how much uh, expanded content they have. It's, uh, it's yeah. almost overwhelming. Uh, yeah, definitely, but definitely. It depends I'll- on the scenario. So this is actually kind of a bit of a a loaded question, I guess, because the answer is yes and no. Um, Not too long after I had released Elfin Folk, I did start working on a supplement, which eventually turned into a second edition of sorts. Um, And I have been working slowly little bits at a time um, on a project that I... uh, think i would call elfin folk definitive edition um something like that because it is not necessarily a second edition but it is a, a revised version of elfin folk there are like i said a lot of things that i love about the game and an equal number of things that i would like to improve upon or change about the game um and the biggest one for me that i've always looked back and said i would change a little bit is sort of a lack of jumping off points for new players. Um, like I know you had said upon reading the game, it felt like like a, a lot of it was really geared towards like beginner players and new players. And that is definitely the case. Um, and my sort of philosophy at the time of creating it was I want to make the the rules and the character creation sort of as short and as brief as possible in the game text and as open-ended as possible, and that will make it very easy for new players to pick up and to make a character and to start playing because there's not a lot they have to read and there's not a lot they have to remember, etc. But after running a whole lot of games of Elfin Folk for both new and experienced players, I have found that for the very new players, that lack of direction almost makes things harder. Um, So, you know, when you are creating a character in Elfin Folk, there is no list of sort of character archetypes there is no list of character equipment there is there is no sort of lists like that of things that you can just choose from and have the inspiration for who your character is you know the the first step of character creation is create your character concept like decide who you want your character to be and for an experienced role player that's great and it's a lot of fun um but i also do think that for like a brand new role player that can almost be overwhelming. Like the the lack of direction can be just as overwhelming as the the amount of content that you have to digest before you start making a character in a larger TTRPG, but almost on the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, and so that was one of the big things that I started working on. I was creating a second edition slash definitive edition that had character archetypes. And, and then it also had a collection of adventures. Uh, I had commissioned 12 different short adventures. They're all about one to two pages uh, written by 12 of the absolutely most amazing writers and designers in the indie TTRPG space. Um, 
and they all got written and they were all amazing people like Kristen Devine, uh, people like Valis Teo. Um, there were, there were a lot of different ones. I, I can't even name all of them off the top of my head right now. And there was everything from, I think one of the adventures was like, th there's like an annual chicken race in the backyard of this house and you have to, <laughs> you know, find, you know, tame a chicken and find a way to create a saddle and, you know, participate in this chicken race. Uh, there was another one where like you were a group of elfin folk living in the walls of this bakery of this girl who was very passionate about it, but the business was kind of failing and you had to find ways to like, almost like, you know, uh, uh, help out the bakery behind the scenes that, that the owner of the place didn't see and didn't notice the little creative things you were doing to drive more business to the place so that you wouldn't, uh, you know, so that she would be able to keep her bakery, um, there was a one where you were a group of elfin folk who lived in a grocery store. And after hours at the grocery store, there were different sorts of communities of elfin folk who all lived in there that, you know, rode around on the, the little uh, machines in the grocery store. And it was almost like a Mad Max uh, type, a Mad Max Fury Road type adventure where you were uh, sort of like battling on these uh, little grocery store machines and carts and things uh, there were there were so many of them uh one was like an, a, a a southeast asian night market that had a kind of a plethora of different adventure hooks in there with it um and i have all these adventures they're all written um and and then the third and last part of this was going to be sort of an equipment um compendium and it was presented as the journal of a very famous elfin folk explorer who was kind of recounting his journeys and 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 giving examples of all these different things that he had seen used by different elfin folk communities around the world um with like different examples of pieces of equipment that you could use based on household items um and i was very excited about this project uh it it would be really amazing i you know the way that my work schedule is because i I own a business. My family owns quite a large uh, poultry farm here in Rhode Island. And uh, I kind of go through these cycles of we have our slow times where I'm not working much and I have a lot of time to devote to creativity and I start working furiously on a project. And then all of a sudden we have a busy time and I'm working 80, 90 hours a week and I have to put it down. Um, and then the next time we have a slow time and I can work on something, I always end up just starting something entirely new so i'm kind of always in a state of like i have 30 works in progress and i'm probably going to start something new before i work on any of my current works in progress um because i, I that's just that's just my biggest character flaw i guess <laughs> I, I, but, that's a normal thing i've heard about from other other creators before of, of not yeah. of just having all these these projects just kind of laid out yeah and know. so like this project is out there and it exists and it's something that i really want to do i struggle a bit with the fact that i do, don't i don't have the same freedom to just fund the project myself that i did at one point when i had written elfin folk there was no kickstarter or anything like that i just funded it myself um which was fine and it was a great idea because i did it on a very small scale and the game was profitable um which i'm very happy about um but now i have a little six-month-old daughter um who is absolutely wonderful so i try i just you know i'm not as ready to invest my money into creating a larger project um as i would have been maybe a year or two ago when i knew i could just sit around and wait for uh you know that 
investment to come back once I actually finish the project and get it out. Um, so there is kind of that aspect of it where I, I don't have the same means to self-publish that I did once, and I don't have the sort of energy and time to devote to a Kickstarter right now. Um, but hopefully in the future, that's something that I that I will get around to doing. Absolutely. I, I, I can only imagine, you know, with all that on your plate, it's it's difficult to kind of manage uh, a hobby because even even as a business, it, it, it does kind of boil down to it, it's it's a work of passion, I, not as much. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you made a profit on it, which is more than more than I can say. <laughs> this, is, this is the money sink for me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it's hard to manage that with with everything else going on, with full full time work, with with managing family. Uh, it's it's a big thing, and I think a struggle that most people in our our uh, hobby would uh, find challenging. Oh, absolutely. It's 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 a lot of work. It's a labor of love to create any sort of content, um, anything, whether you're making, you know, a YouTube channel, a Twitch stream, a podcast, a, you know, short fiction games, anything. It's it's something that like people discredit the amount of work that it takes because it it's something that creators do for fun. Um, but really, it's 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 an amazing amount of labor. Yeah. Um, so moving on to uh, my my other questions here real quick. Uh, are, are there any other games that uh, you felt kind of gave you inspiration when you were building Elephant Folk? Um, yeah, I mean, there's... There, Not to there be are... in like, copyright trouble or anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are a ton of games that I took inspiration from. I mean, I guess I could, like like any designer, I guess you can kind of look back at every game you've ever played and enjoyed and realize maybe there's one little thing that you kind of liked and have taken inspiration from as part of your signature style of design. Um, but I guess the one glaring one that really comes out to me is um, the, the what I refer to as the Dice Up system. Um, so for anyone who does not know of the company Dice Up Games, they are some of the best game makers and publishers in the business. Um, they do a lot of like games that are like all ages and games for kids. Um, I know they recently put out the game Adorablins, which is really cute. Uh, absolutely love it. Go buy that game if you don't have it. Um, but they also have a sort of system that they've used for a few games and a few works in progress that I've play tested with them. Um, the the one that is published that I know of that uses the system is a game called the North Sea Epilogues. Um, the TTRPG of the North Sea epilogues. There are also some board games made by other designers. Um, and that system uses something similar to what I had described as uh, the way that obstacles are overcome earlier in this podcast. Um, in fact, I think that you and I played a one shot of the North Sea epilogues uh, a did, long yeah. time ago, about two or three years ago. Um, we recorded it for a podcast and that uh, also never got released because that's just what I do. That's just what I do. Uh, it was with Tim Devine, that's right. And Tim yeah, Devine yeah, yeah. is actually one half of Dice Up Games. Um, Tim Devine um, was one of the designers of that game. Um, the other half is Kristen Devine, who I mentioned earlier, who had written one of the adventures for the um, potential definitive edition of Elfenfolk. <laughs> I, yeah, I had mentioned uh, to when I was I was trying to sell this to my my other bards. <laughs> I was uh, I was talking about how uh, the the basically the the ease at which you can kind of uh, read through the the rule book and, and get an understanding of how it's uh, how it works and how that really appeals to new players. 
we were talking about um i don't know if you've ever heard of the excellence before uh it's a, a tabletop game uh where it uses the polygon system i believe okay i've um, not heard of it polymorph sorry polymorph system and uh it has it has the same kind of feel as far as uh walking people through every step of the way uh it uses a very colorful language to to kind of keep the 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 player engaged and it does the same same thing of um right. keeping the dice rolls very simple uh using checks to 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 do that kind of thing to to mm-hmm. make successes um and it, when i was reading through this it reminded me of that it was one of the first games we actually uh, covered here and one one that i've i've played a few times since with uh with my friend groups but uh, yeah it was um just a comparison. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm actually going to have to check that game out now because that sounds really, really damn cool. Oh, it's a lot of fun. You play as a princess of uh, anything you want, really. Uh-huh, uh-huh. uh, kind of like uh, one of those like 90s cartoon Sailor Moon-esque kind of mm-hmm. things. And, and everyone awesome. gets their own element of sorts, whether it's like candy or paper mache <laughs> or anything. I love that. I love that. I, it was it was the only episode I've worn a dress for. <laughs> for our recording that's fantastic uh so what uh what tabletop games do you personally uh enjoy or either uh growing up or now uh what what are you currently into well i've always been a big fan of board games Uh, when it comes to tabletop role-playing games i guess i'm a bit of a late bloomer um i didn't really they're one of those things that i always looked at with interest but didn't have a group to play with i didn't really start playing tabletop role-playing games until i was I think about 23, maybe 24. Um, and I decided I was sick of waiting around for someone else to run a game for me. I was just going to gather some friends and I was going to be the GM. Um, and that's how I became the forever GM. Um, and <laughs> I know that struggle very well. Yeah, yeah. So the the first tabletop role-playing game I played was Fate Core, uh, which I love. I know a lot of people have very charged opinions about fate core like most people either love 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 it or think it's very flawed or doesn't really fit their style or don't like it at all and I, I i really think it's fantastic i i it's just a very fun system for me uh i guess a part of that is probably the nostalgia of it being the first ever campaign that i ran so um that's definitely one um also like i said i was a big board gamer before Mm-hmm. And you know, we, we cover board games too, so yeah, feel free to yeah. look at your favorites. I, I've always like I was always a big Small World fan back when I was in college. I played a ton of Small World. Um, the the game that shall not be named, of course, Munchkin. I I guess uh, everyone has can say yeah, that yeah, right. Yeah, I guess it's almost embarrassing to say you've played. I, we we covered we actually covered Munchkin uh, recently, and I I hadn't <laughs> played it in years. So like I played it when I was in college or yeah. even younger, and and to me at the time it all seemed fine, and then you kind of <laughs> look at it later and you're like, no, it really wasn't, was it? Uh, yeah, no, of course, no hate to uh, Steve Jackson games. It's no, a yeah, game it's, and it, and it's a little dated. Is what, it's it is just dated, it. and it's it's one of those games that is like, um, I guess the the best way that I can describe it is like it was so. It was the it was the the overplayed radio song of board game board mm-hmm. gamers. I guess it was the one that like people who don't really play board games would be like, oh yeah, I, I love board games. I play weird ass 
obscure board games have you ever heard of munchkin um you know like that sort of thing um it's it is a really fun game and it had a huge influence and it got a lot of people into board gaming and kind of it is it has been that gateway game for a lot of people so i have a lot of respect for it yeah, absolutely yeah um I, I, I mean, most of the people I know who do board games at some point either started with or early on, they, they played Munchkin. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm no different there. Um, just to, to shout out one board game that I've been playing recently that I really love. Uh, it's called Modern Art. I've played it once a week with my I have like a weekly board game group going right now. And we've played Modern Art for the last three weeks. Um, it is like an auction game. It's kind of like a social social engineering game uh, but it's not a lying game it is simply like a market manipulation game essentially each player is the owner of an art museum and you take turns auctioning off art pieces um, and then at the end of each round those art you get you get money for how much each of those art pieces is worth um, and every piece of art kind of starts the game with no value at all um, and then as as pieces by each artist sell more and more those artists become more and more valuable and you can sell them for more and then you earn more money for having them so it's very much a game of like trying to manipulate the market so that your art which technically started off the game worth nothing at all just like everybody else's is now worth more just because more people want it um it's it's very very fun and bears some similarities to what I imagine the real world of auctioning fine art is like that the 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 media itself has no value outside of its perceived value, which is a very fun way to play the game. Yeah, I um I've been so I actually didn't do too many board games uh, initially. I was really into to, to role playing games. Uh, like most people, I started with D and D. Unlike most people, I started with Fourth Edition, which was uh, my my mistake. Five <laughs> and then Fifth Edition. Uh, yeah. But I didn't really start getting deep into board games until I started doing this podcast, mm -hmm. uh, because I had initially uh, had the idea to do this for only tabletop role playing games, and I quickly realized I don't have the time to learn a new system every month. Yeah. Uh, so board games have become a filler, and I've I've found them very <laughs> enjoyable. I mean, I, I have I have my favorite games too. Cosmic Encounters is easily my favorite board game. Mm -hmm. and it, it's been around forever. Uh, Wingspan we're doing uh, oh. next month. Wingspan uh, great. Yeah, Wingspan is great. I I my friend was trying to get me to play Scythe for the longest time, and I was like, oh, it looks a little complicated. And he's like, well, here's this, but it has birds. And I'm like, okay, you got it. ah yes, it's dense, yeah. it's dense, but it's so good. It is. It is very good. Uh, so we'll move on to uh, one of my second to last question is uh, do you have any tips for anyone who might be uh, starting to run or play in uh, give elf and folk for the first time? Um, I actually have a, a, a weird and kind of obscure recommendation. Um, and this is one that was given to me by uh, here we go. Another shout out to, the legend tim divine i love this man i love the divines there's just some of my favorite people in the, the trpg space i always end up talking about them everywhere <laughs> i go um <laughs> tim divine had played a game of elfin folk with me i ran a game uh for him and some other people and at the end of it he had a very fun idea he said i would love to take this game to a convention 
And what I would do when I'm running a game is I would make the pre-made character sheets and I would hand those out. Well, you don't have to make pre-made character sheets, but you know, everyone would get their character and play their character, but the character sheets would not have any equipment on them. And then I would take a big old bag filled with a bunch of little tiny household items, whether it is, you know, a, a plastic spoon or a piece of string or you know, an old hair clip or what have you, just a ton of little household items. And I would dump the bag out in the middle of the table. I would say, okay, equip your characters. Um, you know, your character's equipment can contain of any of the stuff here in this, you know, in the middle of the table and you can use it however you want. And I thought that that was such a fun little idea because it is a way of both giving the players a jumping off point so they're not totally lost as to where to start. It gives them a huge list of equipment that they can use. Here's the stuff that you can equip your character with, but it also stimulates the imagination and that it doesn't tell you how you have to use that equipment. It sort of lets you put it together in any way that you uh, you think your character might want to use. That is, that is amazing. Uh, I, I'm probably going to steal uh, that <laughs> idea or, or at least attempt to. Because uh, the, the the session I'm running is going to be like a 18th century lighthouse, so I'll have to be a little creative with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm probably going to do something on, uh, along those lines now uh, for, the, <laughs> for the stream because that that is that is a genius. I love it. I, yeah, I really, really have. I've carried that idea with me for a while now, and I, I hope to do it someday. That is that is great. <laughs> and anything else for uh, anyone to kind of uh, starting up a, a campaign? Uh, any ideas that maybe. They, something they should look into if they're going to uh i know the the book mentioned like looking up like blueprints for or mm -hmm. uh houses and locations yeah that is um you know like i have found that when i've ran little campaigns of elfin folk i have always beforehand like sort of gone and drawn out like oh well this is the building that they're in right that they live in this building so i will make essentially the world map is just like the the outline of like where each room is and i think that's something that's very important to do uh but also you know uh, i guess you don't have to be too detailed with it because it will all come into play as things happen and as players ask questions um that's like i think it's fun to take a bit of a blades in the dark approach to it where you know when uh, something that i always found fun about running blades in the dark is like when i know that my players have to go rob a bank or something i don't have to create that bank beforehand i don't need to know what it looks like i wait until my player says oh is is this thing nearby is this room nearby can i do this over here and then i decide yep yep that's exactly where it is a uh, great job you get to do the cool thing you wanted to do all right uh so we're uh, gonna start wrapping up here uh before we do uh are there any upcoming projects that you're working on that uh, we should keep an eye out um, yeah, yeah, I actually have a, a few things that I can shout out here. So the one project that I've been working on for a while that I'm very excited about is not a game at all. It is a six part audio fiction podcast. It is a sort of mystery slash horror podcast called Uncovering Dunridge. Um, I had done all the scripting about a year ago and maybe five months ago or so I, I got all I finally did the casting and recorded it all and I've been working slowly on the editing process of it it's actually pretty close to done uh, so with any luck by the time this podcast is out it will either be uploaded or on the way to being uploaded so so 
you know, you can you can keep up with me for that. Um, and then I also have two other good projects worth mentioning, both of which are games being published by the fantastic publishers Action Fiction. Um, so the next game that Action Fiction is working on is a, a, a pretty, pretty awesome sci-fi horror TTRPG called Cthulhu Dreamt. Um, which I did not work on the actual story aspects of it just yet, but I designed the system from scratch for that game. It's a, it's a quite a fun like D12 system. It was a system that I had actually made quite a while ago uh, with another designer named Trevor Roop, um, who does not design games anymore. Is not really in the TTRPG space anymore, but was a fantastic designer. Um, I, I'm actually very excited for that one personally. Yeah, I, uh, I, I saw like the Kickstarter is going to be relaunched soon. Yes, I um, believe August the the Kickstarter will be launched. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Cthulhu Dreamt. It is based on a sort of heavy metal concept album by the artist Reed Reimer, which is so cool. And the game, I was about to say I'm coming yeah, for that vinyl. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the game has like a companion novel and a companion heavy metal soundtrack, which like has both like straight up heavy metal vocalized songs that are just fun to listen to as well as tracks that are meant to be backing tracks to like certain parts of the adventure path that it comes with so that is going to be super cool and the whole aesthetic of it is just really awesome um and then the other game that i'm working on with action fiction right now is actually a board game uh, which should launch on kickstarter within the next year it is called goblin cave um and it is a a four-player team uh battler um it is almost like a pvp dungeon crawler uh, where each team of two players controls four different characters um with unique abilities and it ends up playing out very similar to like a moba or a hero shooter type game but on a tabletop with miniatures um it, it it's quite a fun little skirmish game that uh, we're we should be hitting kickstarter with it probably i would assume early 2024 that, uh, yeah, I I think I've I've seen them mention it. I I also I I don't talk about it too much on on the podcast. I try not to play favorites, but I um I've always followed uh, action fiction. I haven't been as as uh, active on their their Discord lately, but it's definitely worth checking out for anyone. Yeah, listening. they're awesome. Um, they, they do some really cool stuff. Um, they actually have been demoing Goblin Cave at uh, they did they demoed it at PAX East. I'm sorry, PAX Unplugged. The last PAX Unplugged. They will be at the next PAX Unplugged. Um, I think they opted out of Gen Con this year because there's no sort of uh, COVID guidelines whatsoever. So they opted out of that. But um, they will probably be at Origins this summer um, and, you know, maybe a handful of other conventions. And I know they've been bringing Goblin Cave around and playing that. So definitely, definitely check it out if you ever happen to see uh, the action fiction booth at uh, any conventions around. Excellent. Yeah, I uh, I plan on... I probably won't be doing any conventions this year. Next year is when I'm going to start taking time off for those. Yeah, uh, awesome. They're, they're really much fun. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, for your time. Uh, I really appreciate you you making the time for this. I know you have a really busy schedule lately. Of course, of course. Thank you. I, I appreciate you having me on, and it, it's always awesome to uh, you know see that people play my games. You know, I've been kind of out of the loop of of releasing games like i said i've been working on those two games sort of behind the scenes but um it's been a long time since i've really released anything and interacted a lot with the community in that way so it's awesome to see that even though i haven't put out any games in about a year there are still seem to be 
quite often I hear people talk about, you know, um, Tether and Elfin Folk and near that they're playing them. So that is is really, really in just fantastic to me. Oh yeah, I, I've wanted to cover this for a while. When I when I cover something though, I usually make sure it's been out for at least a year, mm-hmm. so that they've had time to do any revisions, they've had time to to announce any new content or anything like that. Yeah, um, absolutely. So that I don't give anyone an unfair uh, review, <laughs> you know. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think is a good thing to do. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, for joining us today. I really appreciate this. Of course, yeah. and uh, I hope that the the session that you guys play is awesome. I'll definitely be tuning into it. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, you have a good day. You too. All right. So, with that and out of the way, moving into number of players, I gave this a two, uh, two to eight players for this game. Uh, eight. I can see too if you're one on one with someone. I, I know that's a thing. I've never personally liked those kinds of, of t- tabletops, but I know that some people can only get two people together. Eight seems like a little much, especially for a game that's so open ended like this. Yeah, I did a similar. I was two because just the range was too much for me. It doesn't give you enough guidelines for optimal play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always consider number of players in tabletop role playing games. Um, a upper and lower limits. So they're saying at very minimum you need two people and at very maximum you can play with eight people, but that anywhere in between is a happy medium. So I think that's, I gave it a three for that. I always found that being an endorsement though, they're saying, ah, you can play this with eight people. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, three to six is a little bit more acceptable than, than two to eight. Because you can play outside those bases anyway. Yeah. There's nothing stopping you from adding more or less. But like, the <laughs> the person is endorsing and saying, like, ah, this game works very well for this. Yeah. I would at least put some kind of limiters at, at like, seven or eight just to... Uh, well, they did. Or even a guide to just say, well, if you have this many players, you may want to to try to guide the story in this kind of direction kind of thing. Because this, this book has a lot of that, where it goes into detail about how to run certain things. At the very least, it, it might want to focus in on saying, well, if you have eight players, first of all, good luck. <laughs> yeah. But also, uh, you may want to try to limit interactions or maybe have like a timer even going. Because even even in, in a session that's a lot more structured than Elephant Folk, uh, eight players is a lot to run on something. Eight players is too, too many. Quite literally. Yes. That brings us into inclusivity. Um, I, I gave it a three. Uh, the artwork in this is, uh, if it is inclusive, I I don't think there's any kind of um, difficulties with, with reading or anything in this. It's very limited as far as uh, the, the character sheet. Yeah. Uh, I, I gave this an easy three. I had, had no troubles reading this or comprehending this or digesting this. Um, it was uh, it was definitely one of the easier games that we've played. Um, I we only needed to have it explained to us twice. Oh, yeah. um, but I feel like I'm also kind of going into comprehension a little on that. Plus, yeah. having it in the digital format as well means that you can add plugins to help you with it too. So, font isn't an issue or anything like that because you can. There's great things like uh, I think it's Open Dyslexia, which gives a dyslexic font to anything on the internet. 
Then moving in right into comprehension. Uh, once again, a three for me. Uh, this this was really not hard to understand. I read through this book over the last two weeks to put this together. There are some things that I, I will say, uh, rules-wise, I think could be improved. Um, the rate of play for things like the combat, for example, there was no initiative. There was very little guidance on it. Um, I think it could do with a, a tiered system for that. Like, um, I was reading through Badge Quest uh, recently, which is a, a game that we'll cover here eventually because I've been, as I've been looking at the book, I just got it. So I'm still digesting it. But it has a combat system that's tiered into three stages. One is, is thinking, uh, running, and then fighting. So they go off in that order. So you, we can plan run or fight and something like this where combat is is not necessary for it might benefit from having that kind of guide but like structure yeah because it, it, as i was running this i don't know if you guys guys noticed it was um it, it got to a point where i i couldn't like figure out what i was doing insofar insofar as combat or well, the combat, or or also just like what my purpose there was as as a game master. You were kind you of the tell story us how difficult, yeah, and you give us a story. I, you were the voice of reason mm -hmm. when we could just, you know, like when you were a kid and you played pretend and you were like, uh, my superpowers, all the superpowers. Yeah, I guess this like, also kind of goes into like enjoyment and stuff too, because we don't have the the gameplay as much for for tabletops. But mm -hmm. um, I just couldn't think of a better place to fit this into than comprehension. Other than, than reading off the story to you, I, I kind of felt like I wasn't really doing a whole lot. In fairness, we we had the only role play we had was at the start because the rest of it was you presenting the challenges to us. So yeah, I, I could I get that um, in something like this, there's a lot less uh, play that the DM actually makes apart from making the story and then the NPCs. So what do you all think about materials? I mean, it came. It comes currently as a PDF, but we have the physical copy, right? Yeah. Yeah. I got this when the, so I got the physical copy when the game first came out. Um, there, they had taken it down for a while. Uh, I know they were talking about bringing it back again at some point, but I have no uh, no timetable on that. So uh, it is just available on Drive Through RPG right now. And it only needs the 10 sided die for the game. Yeah. Character sheets are also a PDF available online. What do you guys give that for a score? Oh, uh, three for me. Solid three? Yeah, two. Um, although, based on your justifications, I think I should have given it a three. Um, I don't know. I just feel like there wasn't a whole lot there for me to grade. I understand it's also 14 bucks. So. <laughs> So like I can't I can't be like well I demand the world, but I mean a lot of games have shown us that that doesn't necessarily matter. I agree, but I mean if you if you flip through that it, it's they've got some some nice color to them, but then they very quickly turn to like this monochromatic black and white like text, and it, it looks like a book. <laughs> I a I short book, read. but a book nonetheless. Yeah. I mean I I will say they they do take effort to. Um, Make sure that things stand out as far as but the, the boxes around the one text. Page. Oh yeah, the the one gripe I had with the 
the the rules was during character creation. They didn't have a box around the gear step, but they had one around every other step in the in the thing. So I couldn't find where the gear section was at first on this. Oh, that's a little annoying, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> that is. A minor gripe. Yeah, it, that's just an editing gripe, and I don't even know. That's something you can fix in the PDF too. Oh, yeah. yeah. So if they have updates, that might be fixed, and this might just be something that was wrong with the physical version, which could be why they removed it. Yeah. Could be. Hmm. It's all your fault. <laughs> I know. I'm the worst. So moving into gameplay, or did we have uh, more we want to talk about materials? I think we're, we're pretty much covered on materials. It really is just the D10, the character sheet, and uh, the PDF. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't come with the D10, just for reference. Oh, yeah, yeah. no. You, but that's yeah, all that's required usually, yeah. for... But usually when we talk about materials, it's what comes with it. Yeah. yeah. If you've played another tabletop RPG before, you probably already have a D10. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Moving into setup, then. Uh, I ran through character sheets with each one of you. Uh, it took maybe 10, 20 minutes. I don't think... And Did any of you guys have a, a difficult time understanding the setup at all? I mean, it was a little more freeform than I was used to, so that did make it a little trickier. Um, my only other issue with it is, like, if you... I feel like you being more experienced in RPGs helped a lot in that process of, like, suggestions and making it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if someone was to get this book and try and do it for the first time, I think this is a harder system for a newer player. I, yeah... And, I mean, on top of that, too, um, once you start getting into, like, the six, seven, eight people, especially because this game has an upper limit of eight players, um, I I feel like it becomes uh, a very daunting task for, for the GM to work with each player and do the background characters and create stuff like that and, and come up with coherent backstory. Because at that point, that's 16 unique characters total that you have to come up with. And that's on the low end. Yeah. That, 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 I hadn't even considered that for the NPCs. Honestly, I had forgotten about, we'd only used, I think, I wanted three Bob or four to of show them. Up. I was, I was considering having him show up in the, in the house or towards the top of the, uh, cupola, or the cupola. Oh, there it cupola. is. Cupola. It. I know. I goofed it. Yeah, leave it in. Was an NPC I made no. that was just a bumblebee that. I think I got this because he said cupola wrong. Yeah, I knew it. Just uh, like how he, he said uh, uh, keratin wrong earlier. Chitin. 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 Uh, I will Chitin. add. Uh, I are are the connections required? Because we could have skipped that step. I think it's not really integral to the character. But it just like fleshes out the world and also your background. It is in the actual character setup itself. Um, the connections are supposed to encourage. I, I so the connections are supposed to encourage the uh, personality of the character essentially to give more of a story arc to something that is otherwise kind of two dimensional. I think for for character creation. Yeah. Just because it only has the six stats and and the talents. I really think it's really just there to flesh out your character and encourage role-playing. Yeah, but I also feel like that's... If if you felt like... Uh, at, at With specifically seven players and one DM and eight, eight people playing, if you felt like coming up with 
16 NPCs would be too much, you could just completely skip that part. Yeah, I suppose so. Or just, like, do one. Or one, or yeah. Like, one would probably be a little easier at that point. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I could manage 16 different character voices. There is I mean, f- we, we were at, what, six, and we named one Baramy. <laughs> <laughs> there is one gripe that I had, but I didn't actually take away points for it, because it's not really a, a fault of the system. Um, because of how freeform it is in determining your talents, which are just, like, the things that your character is good at, um, you could be like me when we played and end up choosing talents that won't really pop up or would require some stretches of the imagination to use properly, uh, like swimming in a scenario when you've not gone anywhere near water. Uh, so that is that is something that would probably crop up in other one-shots, mm-hmm. uh, unless there was like a little bit of uh, additional... Uh, work that the DM put into informing the players of what might be useful in those given scenarios. So, uh, on that note, real quick, uh, for the gameplay on that, if you get enough experience points, you can actually add a talent to your list that usually revolves around something that you've done recently. So, you could pick up a skill that would build that over time. But on one shots, you're right. Yeah, it really wouldn't come into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of play, rate of play. I think it was paced well. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I gave it a two as the game master, as I said before. It hit, it hit points where I was giving you guys uh, difficulty checks, and that was really it. I, I kind of felt a little bored as someone who's done a lot more complex stuff for uh, game master stuff before. Yeah. No, I, 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 yeah, I could definitely tell you were, you were getting a little bored there. I, I'm just used to uh, having multiple enemies out, to having uh, this is how far you are from this thing, as opposed to you you make it up the, the staircase and you've made it to the, the lighthouse. And, and that could also just be the, the story that I wrote, but I, I have to imagine that at some point the, the mechanics of it are really fun for the player because it's very open for you guys to explore this, this, this world, whereas I'm just telling a story. Yeah. I, I gave it a two from the player perspective, but I also, yeah, I do agree that um, there is not really a lot of pacing that the, the, the do we call it a dungeon master? Should we just, game master? Game master. That the, that the game master can really do um, during the game to either uh, make it more fun for themselves or to even like adjust the pace since it's very player-driven in terms of the actions that they take and how they describe their successes versus their failures. Now a portion that I'm sure is going to get great points from all of us. Price. Yeah, three for price. Three. You can't it. beat it. It's so inexpensive. It's For what criminal. it is, too. For a McDouble meal, you could have hundreds of hours of enjoyment from this tabletop role playing. I wouldn't game. say hundreds. You could have tens of hours of enjoyment. <laughs> dozens, perhaps two dozens of hours. I, I think that uh for, for the price, yeah, it's it's very good. Nine dollars is is twelve for the physical, right? It was I don't honestly I I believe it was in that range, but it it's been so long. I got I this almost three years ago now. I couldn't imagine it being much more than that. No, it's, it's only 40 ways. pages. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's the way it's printed. It's I'm surprised they haven't gone. I know, like, there's probably a legal reason they can't, but Amazon Direct Print has been a huge, like, 
uh, it's exploding the children's illustration market right now for independent illustrators. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if board gaming or tabletopping went in that direction too, because this this would be an easy one to transfer over into it. Actually, that's a good point. Yeah, that's, that's a good enough. I for a second thought you were just going to finish with uh, Amazon ex- is exploding the children. Um, <laughs> I mean, you finished it. no, they're not there yet. Yet, they're not. <laughs> but I also feel it should be important because I think we talked about it before. Uh, as well as during the the interview, that it's often included with a uh, within bundles uh, that the um, the creator uh, or the bundles that support uh, not quite programs, but like uh, I can't remember the, Is it part the of charities. Each, the yeah. Each.io? Yeah. yeah. Okay. They, they so like when they did the, the, the BLM or the yeah, exactly. That's why I believe you ended up with a copy of it in the the bundle I gave you. Yeah. Yeah. You heard it here first, everyone. Give your besties bundles. Absolutely. It is a great Especially gift. Especially when you support good causes. Yeah. All right. Now into the extras. Yeah. Part. Um, I feel like for for the extras, I, I gave it a one. Unfortunately, um, they they have mentioned in the interview that they're working on on some something stuff to add to this, especially like the stories, which I think is a great idea. Um, Can you just expand on what the stories are for a second? Uh, they gave they gave some of the examples in the oh it's in the okay yeah okay. but um so that basically uh, settings adventures uh, okay. that they have pre written that I I feel this will benefit a lot from because creating a story out of nothing is is very challenging and while they do offer some adventure hooks in the book it, it's very basic as far as like you could stop, rescue a town or save a person or go foraging. Uh, Coming up with with a setting and a time and a place to to run something like this, I focused on something very narrow in order to build a, a story for this. But that's only because I've kind of done this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting from scratch with something like that as a game master might be a little more challenging, especially for a book that's very focused towards newer players, uh, as as this one definitely is. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And uh, for community, um, then, unless, sorry, let's go back. I didn't let anyone else speak. Yeah, no, I, I did. I did just want to tie into what you were saying. You know, I did give it one stars, but I, I will say I, I gave it an asterisk that uh, I do feel like that will go up, you know, once they release stories, just like what you said. I kind of just want to piggyback off of your comment there. I gave um, it a half for hope. So I have a one and a half with the hopes that they can fill in the rest. So for community, I is there any? I didn't see any on our little so, cheat sheets. Uh, they mentioned in the uh, interview. Interview, thank you. Uh, that there is a community in the like action fiction uh, Discord, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. They they do play um, games there or organize them there. Um, they have covered the game on uh, the One Shot Pod, which is a fairly popular uh, tabletop role playing game podcast. Uh, so if you're looking for examples of gameplay, there's that. There's uh, us. Yeah. Now, but I, I more meant like I didn't see anything in my very cursory because work's been crazy. Um, very cursory research, like where you could find people easily to play. There, there isn't, and I, I will say that's always going to be uh, something that kind of hampers uh, smaller indie games 
for us. Uh, I gave it a two with that consideration uh, because it has had some outreach, but it definitely could improve that. Yeah. Yeah. I've got but it's also point. something that can't really be. Well, I mean, there's still easy. things that it, like, it, I still think of kids on bikes as kind of a, you know, an indie thing, but you can find people pretty easily that either know of it or have played it before or heard of it at least. And yeah, uh, you can definitely uh, work towards building communities, even just around your game, including yeah. it at cons, things like that. They just not here currently. Yeah, but uh, personal. I gave it a three for enjoyment. I love this. I've been critical, but it, I I would play this often. Any day, every day. Yeah, three for me as well. I really enjoyed the the gameplay. Even even during the slower moments, as the the game master, uh, I was able to to enjoy what vicariously live through you guys having fun. <laughs> This is actually the part where I did subtract some points because of the that it is a little unfair. But it, this is in the same vein of the setup area where um, also my terrible luck throughout the entirety of the, the yeah, playthrough. Yeah, that, that's what um, it is. I, I had fun throughout most of it, but God, it felt like uh, regardless of what skill I was using, uh, the way that the dice were working out, it was just like, there's no way you can succeed on this. I think I succeeded twice throughout all of that, and both times were on, um, what were they called? Uh, the vigilance, the like perception and whatnot, uh, which I had a seven in. But like any time I tried to use my agility, which also had a seven, I would fail. I thought that made it more realistic, though. Like we're supposed to be, at least in our story, starting adventures. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it, it worked well for our storyline. Mm. The, the fail success system, I, I, I've noticed for something like this, uh, the fail success system has definitely some downsides. Uh, it came up once or twice, I think, in the excellence as well, because it had that uh, chart where you had to roll between this number in order to hit this, this success. Uh, there's a limit to uh, how, how often you'll be successful in a chart like that as opposed to like a, a d20 system where you have multiple dice and modifiers and things like that where random chance uh, definitely impacts how you feel about your role. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. But the more modifiers you have, the better you feel you're going to do. Whereas in this, it's just you roll a d10, you have your set score on your sheet, and it's either minus two or plus two. And I can definitely see how that impacts the enjoyment for someone who's used to a lot more complex system. I just think it could benefit from like a fate point system or something where you have, um, or I guess some people might know it as hero points, um, where you have like a small pool of non, uh, ref not refurbishing, uh, refreshing. Yeah, not refreshing or not refreshing. Yeah. That's a better way of putting it. Not refreshing points, which you can use to either improve your score or to auto succeed, depending on your system, just in the event that like, I really need to succeed on X thing or else something bad happens. I like expend a point, a hero point or a fate point or whatever uh, to improve my chances of success. Moving into a uh, recommendation. Uh, yes. I gave it a three for recommendation. Uh, the reason being is something like this is something that I would play when we used to do uh, late nights at Denny's uh, when we were there after game gamers gambit for like three hours. Uh, and 
More than three hours there, Fred. Yeah. Like yeah. Six to eight. There was, there was a reason why I picked a place that was 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. But if you're looking for a, a, a tabletop game that was easy to put together, but you're tired of board games, we used to do uh, Escape Triassic Park all the time. And this would definitely be something that's a step up above that uh, as far as both complexity and uh, enjoyment, I think. I didn't give it a good score. I, I, I gave it a one because I, I really felt it was, and I loved this, but it was it was jarring as a D&D player or a player of more strict games, but it was too free for people who hadn't played before. So it was this weird middle ground of people who need a break from what they had. But I just, I felt like, we even said it a couple times during it, where it's like, it felt like we were detoxing from our other games. So I'd, I'd, I'd be hesitant to recommend it for that reason. I feel like if somebody has never played D&D before, but has interested in, in the sort of tabletop community, this might be a good way to get them interested in the game without overwhelming them or bogging them down with too many rules. But having that freedom of choice, too, is I, just as I overwhelming. Do, no, I do get that. I mean, I, I've definitely run D&D campaigns for new players, and I've run into the same problem where it's like, you know, you're, you're at this place. What do you do? And they just are like, I don't know. So I, I, I get that. Yeah. And I mean, I, I gave the scores pretty, like, this has a good score for me. Like, it's, it's not a bad score. Just like this part in particular, I just couldn't. Yeah. As with most things, uh, I, I gave it an actual uh, three because I, I would definitely recommend this game. Uh, I would recommend it with perhaps the recommendation of added structure from the DM uh, for if they're doing a specific story, maybe having like a subset of talents to have the players choose from. Um, maybe pre-making characters so that the the players uh, have a, a baseline. Uh, so each character is based on like an archetype. Uh, and so they can add the personality and connections uh, that they want, but then each character already has their, their stats and they can use that archetype as a baseline to understand um, where, what they're good at and what they might not be so good at. Pre-made characters would do this game a lot of good, I think, actually. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think, I think that would fix several of the issues that You've already put forward. Yeah. I'm glad I brought it up. Now in replay value. Yeah. So I gave it a two for replay value. Um, it's, yeah, I enjoyed it. I could do it again. Um, the few problems I would have with it is, one, uh, if I wanted to run it with a group, it would probably be you guys again, which means I'd have to write a new story. <laughs> which... I worked, I worked a while on, on, on putting this together because yeah. I, I had to build it really from the ground up. But also, uh, that freedom of choice is kind of exhausting sometimes. I, I, I like a game with a little bit more structure. And, and I find those a little more comfortable when I'm looking for something that I can do multiple times. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, I also gave it a two. Um but uh, mainly more for uh, I think we brought this up when we were when we were recording um, the Twitch stream. Uh, this is a very good game in between like D and D campaigns. Playing like two or three you know uh, uh, sessions of this in between a much larger game, 
I think is as a good palate cleanser. I think it, it works very well there. I don't think I can do like a full length campaign. I don't think I could commit like multiple months to playing this game. I I think I would have fun, but like you said, I feel like it would be a little exhausting. Where it's just like, see, I could play this every week and be happy. Like this is my style of gaming. I feel like at a certain point, you know, well, because my thought process is, you know, with D and D, you know, some some DMs tend to have this this, you know, uh, problem where they overplan things. Um, with this, you can't really plan anything. So I feel like you're 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 kind of swinging in the opposite direction, you know, where it's just like you have no idea what's going to happen or what the players are going to want to do next session. So what's the point of really preparing anything over just sort of the the broader strokes? Okay, you know, I think I actually have a, a unique perspective on this one because I ran upwind for you guys. Um and so if I was to do this, I actually I give this uh, a two for replay because of the same reasons that uh, Ian mentioned um, in that it seems like it would be very, very hard to come up with new ideas because of one, the stories that they planned were not released yet. And two, you kind of have to come up with it all from basically nothing. Um, but with my experience in uh, Upwind, which was very much freeform, I basically just create the obstacles and you guys create the solutions and then we build from there um it's a lot easier for me to think of just the the baseline of what happens and then just let everything branch out from that baseline um as opposed to trying to think of all of the different eventualities that you guys could come to given different decisions you make and whatnot just letting everything be kind of freeform while having either specific points that i i keep note of that will happen more or less regardless of what you do or just coming up with things as they come about with just the the actors or the character uh, npcs um continuing to do uh, sort of reacting in response to you guys i could say though with ian's campaign i can think of four other ways or not campaign but the word his setting it could go like four different ways we established a dog that was on the area that could easily be a, a point Challenge. for an adventure we established that the caretaker uh, was sick at the moment and the light was going to go out so something could happen with that. So there's, I think it unfolds itself yeah. for yeah. longer. I, I I did take that into consideration when uh, when writing this because I, the, the idea of an open-ended campaign is something I've seen a lot in tabletop games, especially recently. Uh, people who are tired, the structure of D&D have... Uh, wanted campaigns that they can play where they don't feel like they're limited by what skill points you have, what actions are available to you. Uh, with that knowledge, I built a campaign or one shot where uh, you had multiple options for everything you did. Uh, there was like three or four different ways to get actually into the lighthouse. There was an entire area you ended up not exploring because you didn't necessarily have to because you had the option to just force your way in without the key, for example. Yeah. Um, it's, it's something that if you know what you're looking at, you can definitely plan around, uh, I will say. But it, it some taking those steps will help this game, I think, have a, a higher replay value overall. Oh, yeah. On our sliding scales. Here we go. Should we do them at the same time? I don't remember if you guys have changed anything up. I have not. 
Uh, it's been a while. I did a classic two. Uh, I feel like there's a lot to this system that is uh, similar to a lot of other games I've played. Uh, the D10 system, uh, I feel like I've done this exact one before somewhere. Um, but you see a lot of those kinds of get to the lower number kind of thing. And this, that's all this really is. Um, it doesn't have a lot of... <laughs> it's it's like the golf of the uh, TVRPG world. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I gave it a three classic. I gave it a classic one. Oh, I, no. There's not a whole lot there. And I, I mean, while it is good, there's just not a whole lot to grade it against. It's a, it's a very basic system. Innovative two. Oh, <laughs> oh explain. Uh, I don't want to. <laughs> Justify your thoughts. Uh, so I, I have actually, I don't have Ian's experience with D10 systems. So um, this would have been my first time experiencing a system where you're, apart from, I think, technically Call of Cthulhu, where you're, uh, you're aiming to get lower than whatever your, your skill rating is. Um, but this, this is the first time that I've played a game where you're, you have your uh, skills and then you roll a d10 and you're trying to get equal to or less than your total, which to me, that's, that's new and innovative. Because uh, usually your uh, attributes just reflect either the uh, the number that you have to meet for excellence or just represent the bonus that you add to your um, whatever you're doing, uh, a la Dungeons & Dragons. Um, so for me, it was a, a sort of new refreshing thing, even though I failed 90% of the time. All right, going to the last sliding scale, simple versus complex. Uh, I gave it a three simple. I feel like uh, it's easy enough to get, uh, and it's good for that. It, it's it benefits from being a simple game. Same. I, I gave it a simple three. Simple two, and that's again only because of um, the the same problem that I mentioned before. I harp on this a lot, but the the lack of structure does uh, does and can lead to confusion for both the, the player and the DM, specifically the player, when it comes to the narrative. Yeah. Um, simple too. Like I said, it's a very good game, but not super outstanding. I mean, <laughs> it's not bad. <laughs> what a glowing yeah. way to end the, the yeah. section. <laughs> so what is our overall score? Uh, so I have a 35 out of 42. 33 and a half out of 42. I'll be honest, I've been trying to get a little stricter with my grading just because I tend to grade very high. So I have a 30 out of 42, but it doesn't reflect on my enjoyment of the game. I, I thoroughly enjoy this and plan on putting this into my rotation. 32 and a half. All right. And for those of you at home, that brings our average to a 32.75 or just about a 33. Hey. I missed having you on. Yeah. <laughs> it was nice having you back. I do the numbers occasionally. It's it brings a vibe. You bring a vibe. You do. I just rush you guys along. You do. <laughs> Thank you for joining us at Dancing with the Bards. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at Dance with Bards on Twitter or subscribe to our Twitch channel at twitch.tv with bards. We're also on Mastodon at withbards at crater.gg. That's with an eight. Yeah, crater with an eight. 
All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. I honestly think this is a game worth checking out. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Love you.